Uh, that's so true. And uh, grateful for what our Savior did for us on that cross. Um, hey, I'm glad you're here today. Because if you weren't, I wouldn't have anybody to preach to. So, uh, But it's good to be back at Mountain View. I, I, I pray that Brother Samuel take more vacations so I can come back more often, you know. But uh, anyhow, uh, just a little housekeeping before we get started. Um, first of all, if you got your Bible, if, if you don't have your Bible, you're in trouble. If you have your Bible, you're going to need to find the book of Jeremiah. It's Old Testament. Somewhere after Isaiah going toward Matthew. Okay? Uh, how many of y'all have ever been involved with um, Bible drill? You know, where you, yeah, some of you know what Bible drill is. Where, you know, you get the kids get together, you call out a verse, they their, put their finger on it, and then when you call on which one to see, make sure they got it and read, okay? That's what we're doing this morning because I have so many verses that there's no way they could put them all on the board. And um, this, this message came out of my quiet time. As I read through Jeremiah, chapter by chapter, taking notes, praying over the chapter, and God just, just crushed my heart. Because I felt like I was reading about what I'm seeing happen all around me. In Jeremiah 9 and verse 1, Jeremiah says this, Oh, that my head were waters, and my eyes a fountain of tears, that I might weep day and night for the slain of the daughter of my people. Jeremiah's heart was broken over his nation. And you've watched the news. Most of us have been touched by what we see happening in the Ukraine. Uh, I have been privileged to be there on, on three different occasions on mission trips. A couple of them medical, one of them to provide uh, winter shoes for children. And I remember one of the orphanages that we went to in the Ukraine. It's outside of Odessa. You've heard Odessa. They're very close now to bombing Odessa, some rocket attacks. It was an, an orphanage for Down's Syndrome children. 150-some Down's children all in that orphanage. Oh, we gave out their shoes. Actually, they were, they were, because the kids couldn't tie their shoes, they were, they were slippers. But they, it was like Christmas. I mean, those kids were so excited to receive just that simple gift. And I want you to know, folks, they're just a few miles from where the fighting is going on right now. And as we visited different areas of the Ukraine, one of the things I learned was that we have a lot of brothers and sisters in Christ there. There are a lot of believers in the Ukraine. In fact, I read someplace, and, and I, I don't remember where it was, so I'd love to quote to you, but they said that Ukraine was one of the largest mission-sending nations in Europe. And so 
you know, you see what's happening and you can't help but be hurt. Uh, but Jeremiah was weeping for the nation of Israel. He, he'd watched as this once great nation literally turned its back on God and walked away into the darkness. This, this is a nation, and you've, you've read the history. This is a nation that was blessed with great leaders. They had men like Moses and, and Joshua and David and Solomon and so on. And now they, they had weak and ungodly leaders at the helm. The Babylonians had invaded, and they were unable to stop it. They, the Babylonians came and, and took tribute from the, from the temple. And they took the finest of the young men that they could find to take back to Babylon to re-educate them, to think in the Babylonian way. They took men like Daniel and Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego. You've read about them. And Nebuchadnezzar comes in and he sets up a puppet king in Israel. And this puppet king was supposed to, to basically just keep control and do everything Nebuchadnezzar wanted. But the Bible tells us that that this puppet king later turned to Egypt for help. Now, Egypt was no friend to Israel. Egypt was, was the enemy of Israel. They not only turned away from what God was trying to accomplish, but they turned toward their enemies and asked for help. So on January the 15th of 588, Jerusalem was surrounded and a siege was set up almost two years of siege against the against that city it got so bad that there was cannibalism going on in the city because the people were starving to death and on july the 18th of 586 jerusalem fell and jeremiah says i wish that my eye my my head were waters and my eyes a fountain of tears that I might weep day and night. He had something to weep over. According to Jeremiah, and, and I'm going to give you these verses, I'll read them and then we'll move on, but in Jeremiah chapter 15, one of the things that God says is, there comes a time in the life of any nation, now hear me, there comes a time in the life of any nation where God says, if you don't want my way, if you want to turn your back on me, if you want to choose against me, I'm going to let you reap the results of your choice. He says in 15.1, And the Lord said to me, Even if Moses and Samuel stood before me, my mind would not be favorable toward this people. Cast them out of my sight and let them go forth. You've gone far enough in the wrong direction. God says, you can just go that way and see what happens. So what we're going to do this morning is, is examine the book of, of Jeremiah to find out what caused this. What brought about a once great nation that brought it to its knees of decline and destruction. And in fact, in fact, if you turn to chapter, chapter 1, and I'll show you the outline for the sermon, okay? This is not my outline. It came right out of the Bible. Man, uh, Jeremiah 1, and look at verse 18. This is, this is the outline for the sermon. Very easy. 
For behold, I have made you this day a fortified city and an iron pillar, a bronze wall against the whole land. In other words, this Jeremiah, you're going to have to take a stand. And here's who you're to stand against. The kings of Judah and its princes and its priests and against the people of the land. God said there's, there's three, three groups that you're going to have to preach to and preach against and take a stand against. One is the polished politicians, the political leaders. The second is the priests, the religious leaders. And the third is the people themselves. Now, any good Baptist knows that's three Ps and that makes a perfect sermon. So we're going to take a look at the political leaders. Now, now political leaders, they were, they were the, like uh, the king, the, the governors of the different regions of the, of the state, and the officials, much kind of like the setup in our nation today. They would provide leadership. They were to provide uh, uh, the rights, defend the rights of the citizens, provide direction for the nation to make it strong, to be the leaders, godly leaders that people could follow and imitate. But they didn't. They did just the opposite. In chapter 2 and verse 8, it says, The rulers also transgressed against me. And in chapter 5, and this is the one I want you to look at, chapter 5, verse 26. Listen to what it says. For among my people are found wicked men. They, they lie and wait as one who sets snares. They set a trap. They catch men. As the cage is full of birds, so their houses are full of deceit. Therefore, they have become great and grown rich. They have grown fat and are sleek. They surpass the deeds of the wicked and do not plead the cause or case of the fatherless, and yet they prosper and the rights of the needy they do not defend. Does that sound familiar? They have a group of politicians, leaders, that were using their political positions for gain for themselves. Ezekiel prophesied in this same time, and he said this, Her princes in her midst are like wolves, tearing the prey to shed blood and destroy people and get dishonest gain. That's Ezekiel twenty-two twenty-seven. They were using their power not to help the people, not to lift up the, the weak and to help the, the infirm and the, those that needed strengthening. They were using it for themselves to, to uh, make themselves rich and powerful. And it wasn't, folks, it wasn't like they didn't know better. God gave them a clear word. Flip all the way over to, to chapter 36. I know we're jumping way over to, uh, toward the end of, of, of Jeremiah. But Jeremiah 36, and listen to, these, listen to these verses. Verse 1, Jeremiah 36, 1. Now it came to pass in the fourth year of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, that this word came to Jeremiah from the Lord. So God's giving Jeremiah a clear word. He says, Jeremiah, take a scroll of a book and, and write in this book all the words that I have spoken to you against Israel. 
against Judah and against the nations from the day that I spoke to you from the days of Josiah even till today. Put it in a book. Write it down. It may be, it, it may be that the house of Judah will hear all the adversities which I propose to bring upon them, that everyone may turn from his evil way, and that I may forgive their iniquity and their sin. God had a goal in giving His word to the people, to the leaders, to the priests, that if they would listen to His word and obey His word and heed His word and repent of their sins, and come to God in faith and trust and walk with Him, that He would heal their land. Wow! So what did they do? Well, that's good. Let's go over a little bit further. Over chapter, same chapter, chapter 36, let's look at verse 21, when this word that Jeremiah wrote down gets to the leaders. So the king, verse 21 says, the king sent Jehudi to bring the scroll. He took it from Elisheba, the scribe's chamber, and Jehudai read it in the hearing of the king, in the hearing of the princes who stood beside the king. All the political leaders be like going in and reading this before the president of the United States. Now the king was sitting in the winter house. In the ninth month, a fire was burning in the hearth before him. And it happened when Jehudai had read three or four columns that the king cut it with the scribe's knife and cast it into the fire that was on the hearth until all of the skull was consumed in the fire that was on the hearth. And yet they were not afraid. The word of God comes and it's clear and they know what God wants. And they thumb their nose at God. We don't need this word. They rejected God's warning over and over again. And back in chapter 32 and verse 32, listen to what it says. Because of all the evil of the children of Israel and the children of Judah, which they have done to provoke me to anger, they, their kings, their princes, their priests, their prophets, the men of Judah and the inhabitants of Judah, Jerusalem, they have turned to me the back. They had a clear word from God. Just as clear as the word that we have from God. As to what we need to do as a nation. The direction that we need to go as a people. And they turned to God. The back. You know. There came a time when they were very concerned about what was happening. The, 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 they faced a national disaster. The armies of Nebuchadnezzar surrounded Jerusalem, as I described to you. And they would show, at that time, signs of repentance. But as soon as the crisis passed... They were right back to the old way. Oh, I, I, I've got to show it to you. It's, it, you. I'm not making this stuff up, folks. Look at, look at uh, Jeremiah chapter 34. It's right there close by. Jeremiah 34. 
Um, we'll drop down in verse, so let's start with verse 7. It says, when the king of Babylon's army fought against Jerusalem and all the cities of Judah that were left against Lachish, against uh, Azekah, and only these fortified cities remained. So you got Jerusalem and two other cities, all that's left that uh, Nebuchadnezzar has not conquered. This is the word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord. After King Zedekiah had made a covenant with all the people, who were at Jerusalem to proclaim liberty to them, that every man should set free his male and female slaves, a Hebrew man or woman, that no one should keep a Jewish brother in bondage. Now all the princes and all the people who had entered into that covenant heard that everyone should set free his male and female slaves, that no one should keep them in bondage anymore, and they obeyed and let them go. Wow! Okay, now get the picture. Nebuchadnezzar's army marches up to Jerusalem. Got them surrounded. There are only three cities left. One of them is Jerusalem. The people there are struggling. And all of a sudden, the king says, folks, we need to really look kind of what God says we need to do. Oh, look, God says that, that every seven years we're supposed to turn all these uh, people who made, uh, submitted themselves to us as kind of endangered servants. They, made a, they needed a loan, so they said, okay, I'll serve you seven years we need to let them all go. We, we don't need to keep them any longer. We, you know, we're, man, look at those armies around us. We need to turn those people loose. And they did. You know what happened? About this time, the king of Egypt started marching up toward Jerusalem. And so Nebuchadnezzar says, hey guys, look, we, we need to take care of this problem before we finish off Jerusalem. Pull back a bunch of your troops and send them down to take care of Egypt. So the people of Jerusalem look out and they go like, oh man, that must have worked. They're leaving. Things are looking good now. The soldiers, are there's just a few of them out there. They've all gone down to the south. Read the next verse. But afterward, they changed their mind and made the male and female slaves return whom they had freed. You know what came to my mind when I read that text? September 11, planes taking down the Trade Center, and America on its knees, and flags flying everywhere, and churches full of praying people. And it was amazing. People are turning back to God, and then it passed. Flags are down. The churches half filled. God says you can't get away with that. Uh, one final thing before we go to the next point. Look at, look at Jeremiah 26 with me a moment. Jeremiah 26, 1 says this. In the beginning of the reign of Jehoiakim, that's a mouthful, said the king of Josiah, the king of Judah, the word came from the Lord, saying, Thus says the Lord, Stand in the court of the Lord's house and speak to all the cities of Judah to which have come to worship at the Lord's house. Now, Jeremiah, go up to the temple and preach. And what did he say in verse 2? Do not diminish a word. Don't diminish a word. Now we'll drop down to verse 7. So the priests and the prophets and all the people the priests, the prophets, and all the people heard Jeremiah speak these words in the house of the Lord. Verse 10. 
when the princes of Judah heard these things, they came up to the king's house and to the house of the Lord, and they sat down in the entry of the new gate to the Lord's house. And the priests and the prophets spoke to the princes and to all the people, saying, This man deserves to die, for he has prophesied against this city, as you have heard with your ears. The man of God came to the place and people of God, the temple, and proclaimed a clear word from God. And what did they say? He needs to die. Now hear what I'm saying. When truth, become, when truth becomes so offensive, it must be silenced. You know that you live in a time of judgment. When truth is offensive. It's no longer the lie. It's no longer the perversion. It's no longer the corruption. It's no longer the rampant sin that is eating into the hearts and lives, especially of our young people of this nation. But when you hear that the truth is being suppressed and it is offensive and it's got to be silenced, you know that that nation doesn't have long before it meets God. So it's the leaders, political leaders, but also it's the priests, the, the spiritual leaders. I mean, they, that's heartbreaking. These were to be the spiritual leaders of the nation, the priests and the scribes and the prophets, the very people who handle the word of God to set it forth before the people. And much like today, these are the people who were supposed to proclaim God's truth. And they were to live lives that demonstrated that they knew God's truth and that they walked with God. But the exact opposite is true. Let's go back to chapter 2. And um, verse 7. God says, I brought you into a bountiful country to eat its fruit and its goodness. But when you entered, you defiled my land. You made my heritage an abomination. The priests did not say, where is the Lord? And those who handle the law did not know me. Wait a minute. You're handling the word of God, but you don't know the God whose words you're handling? The priests did not say, where is the Lord? The rulers transgressed against me. The prophets prophesied by Baal and walked after things that do not profit. The faith that should have sustained the nation had been corrupted. Does that ring a bell with anyone? You see, according to chapter 6, and, and take a look at this, you need to see this one too. Chapter 6, in verse 13. I mean, I, it, some of these things you just go, wow, I can't believe what I'm reading. He says this. Because from the least of them, even to the greatest of them, everyone is given to covetousness. 
from prophet to priest. Everyone deals falsely. You see, they had changed the message for their own gain. Covetousness. Let's, let's have a, you know, we, we ought to have a church that, that focuses on, on, on filling up the pews with people. And, and what we'll do is we'll, we'll entertain them. We'll get, what are they used to? Well, they're used to dark auditoriums and loud strobe, loud music with strobe lights and maybe a, a fog machine. And, and we'll put on a show and we can fill the pews of this church with people. People, our job is not to fill the pews with people. Our job is to change lives through the message of the Lord Jesus Christ and salvation through Him alone. And so, they changed the message. God entrusted them with truth, and they corrupted that message to the point it was no longer God's message. Well, chapter 8, let's go to chapter 8. You'll see it there. Chapter 8, verse 8. Can you believe all this stuff in Jeremiah? Chapter 8, verse 8 says this, How can you say we are wise and the law of the Lord is with us? Look at the false pen of the scribe certainly works falsehood. They were changing God's message. The wise men are ashamed and they are dismayed and are taken. Behold, they have rejected the word of the Lord. So what wisdom do they have? Well, they don't have any. That's the point. It's no longer God's message. They've given themselves, well, you read verse 10, they've given themselves to covetousness. From prophet to priest, everyone deals falsely. So I guess the problem, the question that I'm asking, the question you should be asking is, how do I know if the message I'm hearing from the pulpit or from any other, other resource, you know, do it online or however, how do I know that message that I'm hearing is from the Lord? The reason, if you want to find if it's God's word, is look at verse 6. He says, I listened and heard, but they do not speak aright. No man repented of his wickedness, saying, what have I done? Everyone turned his own course as a horses rush into battle. What's Jeremiah saying? If the Word of God, the true Word of God, the enlightened Word of God is being preached, it's going to change lives. There's going to be repentance. There's going to be salvation, people coming to faith. It's going to be a, a home that's going to be healed. It's going to be people who are brought back together that have been alienated. God's Word is going to change lives if it's God's Word and not some message to make you feel good. Truth transforms. Lives, lies destroy. Truth transforms. Chapter 23, verse 16, says this, Thus says the Lord of hosts, Do not listen to the words of the prophets who prophesy to you. They make you worthless. They speak a vision of their own heart, not from the mouth of the Lord. 
They continually say to those who despise me, the Lord has said, and, and you shall have peace, and everyone who walks according to the dictates of his own heart, they say, no evil shall come upon you. For who has stood in the counsel of the Lord and perceived and heard his word? Who has marked his word and heard it? Now let's think about that. Who has marked his word? What does that mean? That literally means that they, like we would be marking our Bible. We would be uh, looking at that word and allowing it to transform or change our lives. Making it part of our life. Is a sermon just to be heard or is a sermon to be lived? These people weren't living it, and they weren't teaching it. But you know what the problem is? Take it back to verse five, or chapter five for a moment. Chapter five, and uh, and verse verse thirty-one. It says the prophets prophesy falsely, and the priests rule by their own power. And my people love to have it so. The reason false preachers and false teachers can get away with what they're doing is because that's what people want. Why would a, a false message be so appealing? Well, Ezekiel prophesied about the same time. Let me read this to you real quickly and we'll move on because I know our time is gone. Ezekiel chapter 8, if you want to make a note in your, in your, that you take notes. He says, uh, furthermore, he said to me, son of man, do you see what they're doing? The great abominations that the house of Israel commits here to make me, make me God, go far away from my sanctuary and turn again, and you'll see greater abominations. So he brought me to the door of the court, and when I looked, there was a hole in the wall. He said to me, Son of man, dig in the wall. When I dug in the wall, there was a door. And he said to me, Go in, and see the wicked abominations which they're doing there. So I went in, and I saw there every sort of creeping thing, abominable beast, and idols of the house of Israel portrayed around the walls. And there stood before them, Seventy men of the elders of the house of Israel, the leaders. These are the, these are the priests, the prophets, the, the scribes. In their midst there stood Jehaziah, the son of Shaphan. Each man had a censer in his hand and a thick cloud of incense. Well, they were worshiping. And he said to me, Son of man, have you seen what the elders of the house of Israel do in the dark? Every man in the room of his own idols. You know what God allowed Jeremiah or Ezekiel to do? He let him see what was in the hearts of the people. If God were to allow us to see what's in your heart today, if we could swing that door open and look in, what would we find? Would we find a commitment to Christ or worshiping corruption? A nation that comes to that point does not have long. Very quickly, we'll try to rush through this last point, the people. There are several problems that Jeremiah points to that the cause of the national decline. Generally, it's, it's never just one problem. Generally, it, it brings a nation down 
by a combination of things that come to, to culminate. And Jeremiah says it starts when her nation refuses to listen to God's word. He repeats that over and over, and I, I don't have time to, to take you to every verse, but you can read Jeremiah. Jeremiah 6.10, he says, Whom shall I speak and give warning that they may hear? Indeed, their ear is uncircumcised. They cannot heed. Behold, the word of the Lord is a reproach to them. Verse 19, Behold, I will certainly bring calamity on this people, the fruit of their thoughts, because they have not heeded my words. And you can, you can go on and on, chapter after chapter, uh, chapter 16 and, and uh, verse 12, he says, um, And you have done worse than your fathers, for behold, each one follows the dictates of his own evil heart, so that no one listens to me. And when a nation loses a solid foundation of the Word of God, then other problems begin to manifest themselves. All of a sudden, you've got rampant crime. All of a sudden, you've got shootings in our schools. All of a sudden, you've got corruption in our political realm. All of a sudden, when the Word of God is left, a nation begins to go down, and it happens in a hurry. When a nation loses that solid foundation of the Word of God, the problems just start cropping up. For instance, let me just give you some of these, and we'll hurry through because I know you want to go to lunch. One of the things that, that, Jeremiah, uh, that Jeremiah talks about in chapter 7 and verse 5 is that it corrupts the legal system. It corrupts the legal system. Uh, chapter 7 verse 5 says this, For if you thoroughly amend your ways and your doings, if you thoroughly execute judgment between a man and his neighbor, do not oppress the stranger or the fatherless or the widow, and do not seek innocent blood in this place, or walk after other gods. He says, one of the things that happens is that the, the legal system shifts to the point where it favors one group, and, and uh, it... Uh, corrupts the other group. It hurts the other group. If you're a rock star, movie star, or if you're a multimillionaire, or if you're a famous politician, it doesn't matter what kind of things. You get the thrown thrown out of court and you just walk away free. But if you're just a regular Joe Bull like you and me, and we get in trouble, you know what's happening? We go in and just slammer. They're going to put us in jail. But a corrupt legal system is the result of leaving the Word of God. God's Word gives us the basis for our legal system. You mistreat the less fortunate. The widows, the fatherless, the children, others. You bring about a time of lies and deception. He said uh, in verse 3 of chapter 9, And like their bow, they have bent their tongue for lies. They're not valiant for the truth on earth. They proceed from evil to evil, and they do not know me. Lies and deceptions. See, people want, they want the blessings of God, but they want them without the interchange God requires. I'll give you one more passage. Chapter 42 of Jeremiah. And verse 1. Now all the captains of the forces of Johanan, the son of, of uh, Kira and Jez, 
Jezaniah, the son of Hoshea. Why not make just some simple names? John, Bob, and Harry. And all the people from the least to the greatest came near. And Jeremiah, the prophet, says, Please, let our petition be acceptable with you. So they've come to Jeremiah, all the people. And here's what they say. Pray for us to the Lord your God. Wait a minute. Does that sound funny? Jeremiah, pray for us to your God. What about your God? Pray for us. Okay, that sounds like a good deal. Uh, that, we may, that, he, that, that God may show us the way in which we should walk and the things which we should do. Wow, this is, we're on our verge of revival, folks. Then Jeremiah the prophet said to them, I have heard and indeed I will pray to the Lord your God according to your words, and it shall be that whatever the Lord answers you, I will declare to you. I will keep nothing back from you. So they said to Jeremiah, let the Lord be true and faithful, witness between us. If we do not do according to everything which the Lord your God sends us by you, whether it be pleasing or displeasing, we will obey the voice of the Lord, our God, to whom we send you that it may be well with us when we obey the voice. Does that not sound like revival? The folks came to Jeremiah and said, look, pray to God for us. We're gonna, whatever he says we'll do, we'll do. It's what we're going to do. Oh, really? They didn't like God's answer. And he says in verse 20, For you were hypocrites in your hearts, when you sent me to the Lord your God, saying, Pray for us. According to all that the Lord your God says, so declare to us and we'll do it. And I have this day declared to you, but you have not obeyed the voice of the Lord your God or anything which He has sent to you by me. Now therefore, listen, know certainly that you shall die by the sword and by famine and by pestilence in this place where you desire to dwell. It's not an easy message. There comes a time when God says to a nation, if that's what you want, that's what you'll get. Our friend Ezekiel in chapter 22 says this, And the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, Say to her, you are a land that is not cleansed, nor reign on in the day of nation. The conspiracy of her prophets in her midst is like roaring lions tearing the prey. They have devoured the people. They have taken the treasure and precious things. They have made many widows in her midst. And so, I sought for a man among them who would make a wall and stand in the gap before me on behalf of the land that I should not destroy it. And I found none. God is looking for some men and women this morning to stand in the gap. I don't think there's any going back from where we are today. But I believe we can go forward together, bring glory to God. We'll stand for His Word and for the right 
for truth. And we still have one of the greatest nations in the world. There is no other place to go when America falls. I pray this morning that you'll stand in the gap. That you'll heed His Word and live His truth and love His Son. That we might see change for good in America. Father, That's not a hard, not an easy passage. It moves our hearts that we see the same thing happening, not in Israel, but in America. America, where our politicians are, are many of them, not all, but many of them are corrupt. Where a law has to be passed to keep sodomites from preying on children in first through third grades that movie producers have to put lesbian kisses in their movies to draw that kind of an audience. God, help us. Help us to stand in the gap. I pray for that one who may have come today and they don't know Christ. They can't stand for Christ because they never trust Him. I pray this might be the day They'll turn to Him in saving faith. The invitation is yours. We give it to you in Jesus' name.